Hi, this is Dan Sullivan, and this is the next episode of Exponential Wisdom, and I'm here with my podcast partner and my technology scout uh, for the world. This is Peter Diamandis, and Peter, I think a lot of your predictions that things would change have been speeded up because of the pandemic period. So we're just going to, each of us, talk about various industries that we think are going to be totally affected, some of them positively and some of them negatively by the sudden, sudden change of what's considered normal. Yeah, this will be a fun one, pal. It'd be great. Let's go industry by industry and sort of kick back and forth our ideas. Yeah, in my last book that came out in January, The Future is Faster Than You Think, I actually did that. I looked at every single industry and how exponential technologies were transforming not only the business, but the business models, most importantly, right? Because that's where the real action is. And this pandemic has moved the ball forward two, maybe three years, sort of my decade-long objective. So, yeah, you see thousands, as I do, entrepreneurs that are reinventing their business models and businesses minute by minute every day and have moved them years over the last couple months. Mm -hmm. Where do you want to start? Yeah, well, I'd just like to say that in relationship to any industry we talk, there's the famous joke about two men walking out in the forest, and one of them stops and says, I hear a bear, and the other one sits down, and out of his pack, he takes his running shoes, and his partner says, what are you doing? You can't outrun a bear. He says, I don't have to outrun the bear. (laughs) So an industry can really be blindsided, but there's going to be winners probably inside that industry who keep their partners between them and the bears. So I just want to say this, that from an entrepreneurial standpoint, you can be as successful with a disrupted industry as you can with a multiplying industry. So I just want to make that as a distinction up front. Yeah, I think that's a really important one. You're not going back to business as usual. You're not going back to compete against your competitors. You want to emerge as a new company that is setting new standards. Yeah. And I don't think there's any industry that existed in February that will be the same in May. None. Zero. Zilch. Okay. Beauty before age here. So you go first. <laughs> well, airlines. Airlines. Yeah. I mean, this is a tough one in the following way. And I have investments in some cutting edge airline companies. And I am, I think I'm platinum status on every single airline there is out there. Half my days are on airplanes. So here's the things happening. Number one, people are going to travel a lot less, right? I'm not going to get on an airplane, go to Dubai, turn around and fly back. I'm going to Zoom. I'm going to use Facebook rooms. I'm going to use whatever technology is out there. And by the way, there are probably tens, if not hundreds of millions of dollars going into upgrading what you and I are doing right now. So less people traveling, less people in cattle coach because they don't want to be next to each other. There's physical distancing and the CapEx isn't going down because the monies are invested and the debt has to be paid. So it means the price per ticket is going up and up and up. It turns out, so I own a couple of small airplanes. I'm an investor in one small private network of vision jets. This is the the jet with a parachute on it, part of the Cirrus jet. And so there's a crossover point where you can fly private fairly cheaply 
to, there's something like 50,000 small airports in North America versus the 27 we all, or maybe the number is 20,000. Yeah. And so what if all of a sudden we start, there's a lot more small private planes flying than big jumbo jets. And what if my first reaction when I need to fly someplace is, how do I zoom there instead? Yeah. yeah. What are your thoughts? Yeah, well, I've been following some writers in geopolitics because I've kind of grew up a geography nut. Here's a thing that the whole world will continue to globalize technology-wise, but almost every other system will localize. Okay. And what I mean by that is just as you and I have been spending a lot of time at home for the last six weeks, that my sense is that small communities will get stronger because we kind of like the feeling of being in touch with people. And since we've discovered that we can actually do business virtually and we don't have to do it with a plane, and I'll give you an example. Every May, Babs and I go to London for two and a half weeks to do marketing for our UK company. And UK covers Europe, it covers the Middle East, it covers India. So we pull from a really big market. But this morning, I did two invitations to events that we're doing in May. And I'm doing two-hour workshops for prospects and two-hour workshops for clients. And the London team said, oh, we love this. This is fantastic. But they haven't been that enthusiastic in previous years for the live events because there's a lot of hassles to the live events. Will people show up? Is it a good day in London? What's the traffic like? Is it raining? And everything here, it doesn't matter. So we're just talking that in June, July, and August, we're creating virtual workshops. They're five-hour workshops from nine to three because we can't guarantee that everything's going to be back to normal during that three-month period. And then in September, we're shooting for live workshops. The thing about this, I'm just using us as an example of an event. You know, it's an event business like you are. But we're feeling, what are people saying? And we're getting emails from clients because we suspended renewals for a quarter. You know, everybody who's going to renew March, April, and May we said, we're just going to move it ahead a quarter. And people are saying, charge us, charge us. This is great. What you're doing is really great. You know, I take a lot of my cues from check writers. And I said, check writers are telling me they want to pay me. And I said, this is useful information. So, for example, A360. I mean, we may rethink the whole premise of A360. And I'm not saying, you know, this for a thing. But you're starting the new program for AI. And SAS as a as a service swap as a program as a learning program, and I'm going to do my very best for you, Peter, to get all my strategic coach clients signed up for this program. You know, and we have hundred thousand, two hundred thousand, five hundred thousand. And I'm saying, hmm, what are we learning from this? Here's what I'm saying: I think humans are enormously responsive if the regulations come off and the limitations come off. I think. So people were saying, well, how is the government going to happen, the reopening? They said, the government doesn't have anything to do with it. It's going to be human beings who reopen. Yeah. Yeah. Last thing on airplanes I'll add is, you know, we're seeing airlines like Emirates that are doing swab testing before you get on a plane. So there's going to be a level of an immunity or a sort of a health level that companies will put like this is going to be a 
you know, our plane is taking all of these safety measures. Hotels are going to be interesting, right? I mean, how are hotels going to change? They're going to have to change, you know, are you going to be your temperature checked when you walk in for a meeting? Just like we after 9-11, all your IDs are being checked as you walk in. Will there be technology for a, a very rapid blood scan? Are you immunized? And by the way, one of my companies does blood antibody testing. What we're seeing is that people who've been infected, while they have antibodies, have a low level of antibodies. So we don't know actually whether that is a protective or neutralizing level of antibodies. Yeah. And will it be new air circulation systems? There are these robots popping up that have UV lights that are going around and just constantly killing bacterial surfaces? Are we going to go to super sanitization measures that have never existed before? Yep. There'll be businesses popping up yep. that do that. Yeah. yeah, I'm thinking of the mingling and congregating, you know, industries, entertainment, hospitality, restaurants, and everything else. And it's going to be interesting when things reopen because, you know, I'm a restaurant user. I go to restaurants and everything. And I'm just wondering if they have a certain price point where they have to have this much traffic to actually make a living. They do, but they're going to hopefully have, like my favorite restaurants right now that I get food from, I order and pick up or order and deliver. So I think to remain agile and robust, restaurants that are reopening are going to have to have a delivery service. They're more of a kitchen that delivers food. And this is where drone delivery and robot delivery is going to start. So I know in my community, the places I might go normally walk to, if I could get that food instantly, right, I can say, hey, Siri, bring me, you know, something from Via Veneto, my normal dish. Mm -hmm. That's it. And 10 minutes later, there's a robot knocking on the door. Mm -hmm. That would be awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I think commercial real estate is really the big one that I see. Yeah. You know, every week I've gone into the inner city of Toronto on a shopping trip for Babs and I go to Whole Foods and we have a gourmet restaurant and I, you know, just get there around nine o'clock in the morning. I take advantage of senior. I'm a senior. (laughs) So I was in Whole Foods and I'm standing in line because you have to stand in line for like a half hour to get in. Every six feet they have a circle. And I'm looking at a poster and it says, you know, if you come at Saturdays at 9 to 10, we usually open at 9, but we're opening at 10 and 9 to 10 is seniors. I said, isn't that nice, giving a seniors hour? And I said, wait a minute, wait a minute, I'm a senior. (laughs) (laughs) So it's the first time. Physically, not mentally. (laughs) I've never even given it a thought, but I said, I'm going to do it, you know. And the only thing I can say about that, I think seniors are really weird people. <laughs> you know, <I> was, <laughs> well, you are not one. I'm not one of those weird seniors. Anyway, but the commercial real estate you were talking about is that, yeah, right? So, I'll tell you what, there's two huge problems in Toronto. One of them is traffic congestion. And the other one is pollution, you know, because the city has just grown so fast. And it's been solved in the last six weeks. Clear blue skies, no traffic congestion at all. And I want to just drop a thought for you, Peter. One of the reasons why you can't solve a problem is because you don't know what the solution actually feels like. And now people know what the solution feels like. Mm. They know what it's like. 
not to have traffic congestion. They know what it's like to have completely clear skies and no pollution. So I'm wondering if that just speeds up everything, the fact that you've actually had the experience. Yeah, well, hopefully we'll move towards electric vehicles and a lot of virtual participation, which will allow this to happen. Yeah, but I'm thinking parking garages have really taken it in the... Oh, yeah, uh, parking garages. So how would you rethink that and be the person who his partner is getting eaten by the bear and not him? What would you have to do? In commercial real estate? Yeah, commercial real estate. What would you have to do? I think, I mean, it's a matter of who does need volume and space. I know a number of my companies, a few have actually defaulted and said, keep the security deposit, we're not coming back. (laughs) You know, all in all, others are negotiating for less room. People still need a place to live. So the question is, are you rezoned? Can you zone dual use? One of the things I'm excited about, because we are going more to community. So one of the ideas that I would say is, you have commercial real estate, warehousing space, all of those things, how do you create a live and work community, right? So imagine if you said, listen, this is not just commercial real estate, it's not just residential. What we're doing is we're building something that is 30 apartments and offices and entertainment, and this is a live work space, Mm -hmm. right? So this is where you go, because I would love that. I love the idea of a capitalist commune you know, where I go and I live and I work. And if you're a company, if you're a startup with 30 people, you say, hey, let's go all live there. Mm -hmm. And you're living and working together in a co-working space. So that's for all of you who are in real estate, I'd be rethinking a new business model like that. You can send me the royalty checks later. Here's another area, the energy economy. Oh my God, negative pricing on barrels of oil. Mm Insane. I mean, you think about this a lot. This has got to be crazy dramatic for the oil industry. You know, the price is really based on, to a certain extent, the stock expectation. And stocks are just a estimation of future prices. The whole point about that, and this is a great change in the world, and it's not related to the pandemic. It's really related to that the U.S. as a country really doesn't have to be interested in the rest of the world because they've had energy independence in the last 80 years has been using the U.S. military to guarantee energy, you know, supplies for the rest of the world. So I think there's some issues here that aren't pandemic related, but there's a trend towards the U.S. coming back home. And all my manufacturers who have been plugged into, like China, are saying, we're going to bring supply chains back. It's probably Mexico because Mexico is going to be the low-cost labor. But I think this is speeded up now. And I would say in one area, and it's medical supplies, drugs, medical supplies, pharmaceuticals, that two years from now, if you don't have a stamp on your package manufactured in North America, probably it's going to be a real problem. I think having your healthcare, medical life-saving equipment and supplies overseas. I think that's a change. I think the whole notion of supply chains is going to change. I think 3D printing is going to go through the roof for a lot of just-in-time supply of products and services. And one of my companies, Dan, that is the parent company is out of China and Taiwan, and we created a U.S. company to manufacture 
COVID-19, SARS-CoV-2 vaccines at scale, and we've domesticated everything. Yeah. All the manufacturing, all the testing, everything is being, it's full up in the U.S., only in the U.S. And then we're licensing that capability then to other countries, in particular India yeah. right now, with conversations where they'll then manufacture it locally. I read about the plague, the Great Plague, which was 1360, and one-third of all adults in Europe died as a result of the plague. But the big thing was in England, it destroyed feudalism. People had been, you know, as labor had been locked to the land and it killed so many people that there was a labor shortage throughout England and people just got up and left and they went into a bidding war. And the entire feudal system that had been in place since the fifth century, fifth, sixth century, just collapsed. It collapsed in about five years. So when people say, well, the way we go about things couldn't change that fast. And I said, I think it can. I think we're watching it. Let's pick another industry, um, entertainment. So <laughs> Netflix, Netflix, Netflix. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's interesting. You know, if you want to do stock picks before and after, you know, Netflix is for sure. And it's interesting because the film technology, how do I put this? You got to make the films and then you got to distribute the films. And a lot of the filmmaking has been, massively slow down yep. and with physical distancing a lot of studios are trying to rewrite scripts so that uh, <laughs> so the script takes place you know in the outside not inside buildings and such but yeah so yeah. the entertainment's an obvious one well along with entertainment is sports you know i'm a sports junkie but i haven't bothered with anything for six, seven weeks, and the baseball season didn't start. Well, it doesn't get interesting until October anyway. You know, and all of a sudden I'm saying, I was just a sports junkie out of childhood habit, and it just didn't stop, you know. But all of a sudden I said, you know, I'm not. And especially when they have political or social views, the athletes. I said, no, 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 just, you know, stir away, just stow away. You don't have anything to do with this. But I think it's a massive business. I mean, it's a massive business. I mean, the, I bet every franchise owner in the sports field wish that he had sold to that guy who offered him well, a deal last year. I'll tell you, COVID baseball is a thing for me. When a fellow coach member, Rich, I won't mention the last name, has two boys. We have two boys and the families get together. We play COVID baseball every week. Gaming, I think online gaming is going to go through the roof. For sure. Yeah, for sure. Let's talk about retail. Anybody who was not addicted to Amazon or Shopify now is. Yeah. I talk about companies that have hit new financial heights on their stock prices. Pretty extraordinary. Jeff Bezos was so addicted that he went back to work. <laughs> you know. What's going to happen with retail? Yeah, but here's an interesting thing. So I've been the shopper you know, in our household. So I go on Saturday, it's a couple hours. I have a limo that drives me there and picks me back up. Just an interesting thing about like going to Whole Foods or the gourmet thing. I buy twice as much when I'm there than I ever would online. So I think that retail that makes it a great experience, you know, but everybody's going to have to up their game in the experience economy. You were used to this and you kind of got commoditized. I mean, airline was, you know, I often said that the airline have a marketing strategy. We're not happy until you're not happy. Yes. They're going to have to start making people happy with the experience. I think every industry is going to have to make humans happy with the experience. 
that's my one prediction. And keep your partner between you and the bear. I did a webinar recently for the software as a service product that I'm developing with a woman, Tiffany Bova, who is one of the top evangelists for Salesforce. And it was interesting, right? So she was saying, listen, just reminding us some of the numbers here that your current customers are your best customers. They are, you know, an order of magnitude more likely to buy your next product. It takes six or seven times more investment of energy to find a new customer than to keep an existing customer. And so we don't think about that. And the other thing along this line, she says, the experience you give your clients matters absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I have a client and he's got an automated pub in South Carolina, Norm Dunnigan. And then he's got a restaurant called Whiskey Alley. Now the pub is down because he didn't serve any food and you can't gather in that type of gathering. But the restaurant, and he got a tip from Dean Jackson. This was when the supermarkets were getting short of supplies and you know people were hoarding and running out. And he said to Norm, he said, you know, you have a completely separate supply chain for restaurants than the supermarkets do. And I bet every one of your vendors would still like to ship you supplies. Why don't you just switch over to what you're doing, Peter? And local restaurants are becoming delivery restaurants. They're becoming your kitchen, and then they deliver the food. And he found after four weeks, he was at 75% of revenues that he was before the shutdown. But he had cut his costs by 60%. Amazing. Yeah. So I think what you're saying is very, very true, that when it comes back, you can still go there and sit down and have a good meal, but they're going to be much more provider of your home meals. The other thing is the ghost kitchen concept, where you have just a big industrial space. In a virtual sense, you have nine different restaurants. You have a Thai restaurant, Japanese, Mexican restaurant, but it's all in an industrial space. There are different kitchens. And then it's all delivery trucks that go out. I mean, Amazon's biggest problem going into the pandemic was traffic congestion. I mean, they're largely responsible for half of it. And all of a sudden, they've just had nothing on the streets with them. So it's interesting. They may go down in business just because traffic comes back. (laughs) I would just mention one more point on retail, and maybe let's talk about transportation. On the retail side, we've talked about this before, that two or three months of doing something repetitive is enough to create new habits. And a lot of people who were not on Amazon or Amazon Prime or Shopify now are out of necessity. And so a lot more users there. So I feel for the small mom and pop boutique shops on the streets. Yeah. We're going to have a lot of, you know, in the United States, tens of millions of bankruptcies of small companies like that. And unless you're a unique experience, and we're going to start to see VR play a role in helping you see what it looks like on, it's going to become the gap between doing something virtually and going in person is going to get narrower and narrower. Transportation. No one's using their cars or their airplanes. We're zooming. The other thing is that public transit has a bad reputation right now. In New York City, they figure a lot of the crisis was caused by public transportation. People packed together, you know, they weren't doing 
physical distance. I just think people are going to travel less, you know? Yep. You know, I used to really almost demand in office meetings because I like seeing people. I like the random connections that occur. There are platforms I'm seeing my friends developing, which are going to enable appointment viewing like on Zoom, but random connections out there where you just run into people. Some people leave their Zoom links open all day and they just sort of walk by and say, hey, Bill, are you there? (laughs) But, you know, the move towards electric cars, autonomous cars, I just got my upgrade on my Model S of the new rev of autopilot which now recognizes red lights and stop signs and comes to a stop. And, you know, it's doing it really well. I keep on wondering, is it going to see it's late at night? There's a stop sign around the corner. Is it going to see it? And it does. And it brings me to a full stop. Our ex has been sitting in the garage for six weeks. (laughs) Our electric autonomous cars are going to reduce oil consumption and give us more time efficiency. And then, one of the X prizes we have going on right now, which is the ANA Avatar X Prize, all Nippon Airways asked the question, what happens when people stop getting in aluminum tubes? And one of the options is when I want to meet with you, I inhabit a robotic avatar mm-hmm. in your living room and I have a conversation with mm-hmm. you or vice versa. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Can I ask you a question? Have you found, I mean, there's other platforms, but have you found Zoom deficient in any way? I find it pretty satisfying. There's not too much more I need to know about what's going on in the other person's location than what I see. The only part of Zoom is it's been exhausting because I've been on back-to-back-to-back Zoom calls. And, you know, I'll take occasionally on my phone as I go for a walk, just trying to get my 10,000 steps in a day mm-hmm. uh, has become more important than ever and difficult yeah. in some ways. Yeah. But no, it's not deficient. Yeah. But we're going to get higher quality. I'm so excited to see what entrepreneurs come up with in the next year ahead. Yeah. yeah, I think that the period when it seems that reopening has happened is going to be one of the most innovative and jump in productivity and sorting out the marketplace really, really fast, any period that any of us have lived through. You know what I liken it to? I said, you know, it's at the end of a Monopoly game, you have to put all the pieces back in the box. And I said, but in the Monopoly game that we actually live in, all sorts of pieces are replaced in the box with new pieces, and they create a new game board. And now you have to play an entirely new game. And that's what I feel like what actual life is actually going to be. I just think you and I, for the next exponential wisdom calls for the next year, are going to say, did you ever imagine this was going to happen? Did you ever imagine this this was going to happen? Two last industries before we wrap up here, pal, and that is education and healthcare, both of which are the most dramatic. And I've been saying for a while, I wrote about this in my last book, that those two industries are ripe for massive disruption, that they're going to be crushed and reinvented this decade. And man, oh man, is this pandemic helping to add pressure. So let's look at education first. So I've got two soon-to-be nine-year-old boys who were in private school, for which we had the pleasure to pay a sizable, I don't know if it's 30, 35, 40K tuition per. And now they're being taught at home by mom and dad. And occasion, there's a Zoom room with their fellow classmates, but that's more babysitting than learning. 
the learning is taking place with their mom or, or me, which is fun because they connect with them. But these private schools are not going to survive if we have another semester of that. People are going to demand their money back. There's all the different levels of education, but I think the, the university, the university and college level, even in the best normal times, a lot of them were just getting by. Harvard, I mean, Harvard and some of the Stanford and everything else, they've got huge endowments and everything else. I think that that was a huge bubble beforehand, the education bubble. Pretty well uniform consumer dissatisfaction with the quality. I mean, as an entrepreneur, you're certainly looking at the quality of education among your new hires, and there's got to be another way of doing this. I remind everybody that eventually the top teachers in the world are going to be an AI that knows your kids' passion, their language skills, their abilities, and ultimately is one-on-one teaching. But it's going to be, and we're racing towards that, the convergence of augmented reality 5G that allows for all of this to happen super fast and VR glasses. My kids, I got them two Oculus Quest headsets and they are loving Beat Saber and they're loving learning games and all kinds of things in VR and a lot of progress happening there. But we're going to see a reinvention of the education industry. It is inadequate at best and being forced. And so a lot of entrepreneurs listening to this are probably starting education companies. Yeah, and we have a very, very high percentage of homeschooling just in the normal sense. You know, I don't know if a lot of people know it, but in the U.S., three million students are home educated. It's not a small fringe movement. Yeah. And there's whole industries now that are gearing themselves to supplying learning material for homeschooled people. Well, everybody's been homeschooled for the last five or six weeks. The other thing is, I don't know any medical entrepreneur in strategic coach who didn't immediately go to telemeeting and they say, I'll never go back. I'll never go back. It's the last industry to talk about healthcare. And the patients love it. The patients love it. Don't have to get a babysitter. Don't have to park. Everybody loves it. One of my startups that's in the machine learning neural net space is a company called Future Loop, which is a information news AI machine learning platform. And we do these prediction challenges there. And one of the prediction challenges we just did last week was in 2025, five years from now, who will be providing you in-house healthcare? By the way, again, reminding everybody, we don't have healthcare. We have sick care today. The system takes care of you. Disease management system. Yes. And hospitals are the most dangerous, the worst place. You don't ever want to go to a hospital. They're the worst place to be. You want to be able to be taken care of at home. So you know what who's the death do? total was during the average year over the last five years of hospital-acquired diseases? 200,000. And this is the American Medical Association putting out the figure. On average, 200,000 people die of diseases they catch by going to a hospital. In, In the United States, 200,000 per year. Per year. Which is like, you know, four times bigger than COVID-19. I mean, so why are people screaming about that? I mean, it's insane, right? So we asked, who's it going to be? Is it going to be the government providing you in-home health care? Is it traditional health care, existing health care industry? Is it Apple, Google, Amazon, or a new startup? Yep. All of the above. What do you think was the number one? Oh, it would be one of the big ones plus startups. So a new startup because there's no, you know, even the big ones right now have a lot of 
momentum in one direction or another, but a new startup that comes with a brand new approach on how do you provide in-home healthcare. And then Apple and Google were sort of tied. Amazon was slightly third. Tim Cook, the CEO of Apple, made a very famous statement. He said, decades from now, when you look back, Apple will be known for its impact on healthcare more than anything else. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, why would it be any different than any other technological breakthrough in the past? Was Google predicted? No. Was Apple predicted? No. Was all the other ones? Why would this be any different? I would tell you there's just a little breaking of the barriers that happen you know, I mean, there's been rulings where the government just said health practitioners can go across state borders. Up until now, they haven't been able to, you know, and I don't think they'll go back to it. They're not going to reinforce the regulations, but it's a mess. Bottom line, pal, every industry is changing. Nothing is going back to normal. The future has been accelerated by two or three years. Welcome to the new normal. Welcome to the future. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that if your industry has moved forward three years, then you have to have moved five years ahead. Yes. Yeah. And on the AI as a who, you have to be pushing for the eight, nine, and 10 on the scoring of where you are in relationship to your industry. You know, you don't have to beat the world. You just have to beat the people who are near you. To a certain extent, Peter, you can look at all your thinking over the last 25 years as prep school yes. for the pandemic. You know, all the tools we've created in Strategic Coach about thinking about your thinking. I said, oh, now I know why we were <laughs> coaching that stuff. So, you know, it's the reality. And now we have to adjust and take advantage of the reality. A pleasure as always, pal. Peter, thanks for the opportunity today. Yeah, same here. I know you're surviving and I know you're thriving. And to everyone listening, I hope you guys are safe. I hope you're taking advantage of this extraordinary time as entrepreneurs to make the world a better place. And if you have been let go from a job, it's a beautiful time to dig deep, to understand what your passions are, to retool your abilities, and to be part of the new economy and the new world that's coming out, not the one that was in the past and to jump forward, just like we've been talking about for entrepreneurs here. Mm -hmm. Dan, take care, my friend. Thank you, and I'll see you soon. See you soon.